what we know to be true is this the world is changing and we cannot leave working people behind and a huge part of that is ensuring that we have pro housing politicians and leaders at every level of government so we can have a world where housing is actually a human right in this country <laughs> Of course. Thank you so much for having me. It's so always great to join our uh, fellow Yimbis across the country. It's always great to hear you say fellow Yimbis. It's so exciting to have such a like amazing pro-housing voice in Congress. I feel like every time we talk, I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. You know, <laughs> so young and like we have this awesome. I also have to keep reminding myself that uh, I am a millennial not everyone who I think of as young is a millennial anymore. Yeah. They have actually Gen Z here yeah. representing the pro-housing movement in Congress. It's amazing. It's exciting, though, because, you know, people will come to me and say, you and your millennials. And I'm always like, well, I'm technically Gen Z. But I think it's because for so long, millennial was just equated like very young people. And obviously, as the generation gets older, now Gen Z is kind of in there. And Gen Z, you know, in a few years, will will you know, now it'll more, it'll more be Gen Alpha. And what's exciting about that is that we're getting older. That also means we're taking up more of the electorate. And the cool thing is that statistics are showing that our generations don't really change too much uh, from a political standpoint as we're getting older versus like boomers and Gen X who got more conservative. So very exciting. I think like the future of this country is bright. I mean, well, let's just go right into it. I mean, I think this is a really, housing seems to be especially generational. I mean, it is the issue of our time right now, the cost of housing, what it is doing both to, you know, everybody who has any kind of disadvantage in life, but especially this generational gap where yeah. younger people are just being locked out of opportunity in housing. I mean, I know that's been so core to your message and thinking about as you've become a candidate and then somebody representing that generation in office. I'd love to hear your perspective on this and your personal story about this. Yeah, well, what's interesting, when you when you first get to Congress, one of the biggest pieces of advice you get is pick a few issues and go ham on them, right? And like, obviously, you want to be involved on the other ones, but you don't want to be somebody who's trying to be the leader in every issue. It just doesn't work out. You really want to pick a few. And so I knew one was going to be gun violence because what got me involved in advocacy was the Sandy Hook shooting. I was 15 years old. I went to an arts middle school in high school before every jazz band concert. My best friends and I would go to this restaurant across the street, load up on some junk food before the show. And I remember there was a silence that fell across the entire restaurant. We looked at the television screens and saw that somebody walked in to an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut and murdered 20 children and six teachers. And that changed my life. Three years later, I'd become a survivor of gun violence myself. So I always knew gun violence was one. I always knew that music and arts were the other. I represent Orlando, Florida, home of Universal and Disney and all the amazing workers who make the dream possible. And our economy is run by hospitality and entertainment. And as a musician myself, my dad's a full-time musician. I want to make sure I would be an advocate for the arts and specifically live events in Congress. So that's something that I'm doing. Then it came to the third one. And it was hard for me when I first got elected because I was like, I care so much about healthcare, but I care so much about housing and I care so much, you know, and we know it's all connected, but I really wanted to pick one. And 
I joke around, like I didn't necessarily choose housing. Housing kind of chose me because I was just looking for a place to live in DC after being elected. And many of y'all might know me because uh, I couldn't afford a place and I tweeted about it and I got denied out of uh, for an apartment. I got denied out of actually a few apartments in DC because when you run for office, you don't, it's not like a job you get paid for, right? You can give yourself a little stipend at the end, but for a year and a half, I really didn't have a salary and I ran out of money. I remember when the rent hike freeze was lifted in Florida, my rent went up 33% in a month and I had to move out because I was a candidate and I wasn't making any money. And I remember I had, I think I had like a thousand bucks in the bank, maybe a little bit more. And I was like, I need a place to sleep. So I unloaded it on a month long Airbnb. And I was like, I just need to, I need a place to sleep at night. And I zeroed out my accounts on that Airbnb. And I was like, future Max, he's a very smart guy and he will have it figured out a place to live. 30 days roll by, I wake up, it's time to move out. And I didn't have anything because what happened during COVID here in Central Florida and across the country really is we had all of these uh, speculators and just all these corporations from outside of our town buy up all of the housing pretty much, um, a large percent of it, and then hike up the cost. And then they use all these third-party systems to approve or deny you that doesn't look at the human and looks at the numbers and just that looks at you like a number. And I just got denied to a bunch of places here and couldn't find a place to live. So for... Two months I was houseless. One month I was able to stay in the Airbnb, but the second month I was just sleeping on couches and sleeping in my car. And it was just a really tough time in my life. And I also recognize I'm incredibly privileged because now I have a salary and I'm working off my debts and it's going to take time, but I'll get there. But for so many people, there's not that light at the end of the tunnel, especially when um, it comes to housing. For all of those people though, to know that there's somebody who understands and is literally representing that struggle in Congress. I think that makes such a huge difference. Um, yeah. yeah, I think especially somebody who's willing to speak openly about it. I think because struggling with the cost of housing is so often feels like it's like a personal failure. And so yeah. for you to be like, actually, there is like a, a structural cause here. We have a housing shortage. That is what is giving all of the ability of these landlords to be able to have these crazy systems that we are all suffering under. You know, I mean, you've just been such a strong voice for saying like, this is a structural problem that we have to fix. This isn't your fault, which I feel like I like, especially when I was, you know, struggle. I moved to San Francisco. I don't really have a plan. I want to leave my boyfriend. It was like, this is like, it felt like I was fucking up. Yeah. You know? And it's like, no, actually society has created a system that we're struggling to thrive in. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I felt the same way. I was because we are grown up with a huge lie told to us that if you do XX and X, you know, when you graduate college, you'll get your full-time job, you'll get your house and you'll be okay. And, and it's hard. Like I'm at the age, I'm 26 and I'm at the age where my friends that are younger than me and older than me are kind of all in this post-college world where my generation's on track to have more than 10 careers in our lifetime. So not just 10 gigs, but like 10, like different things we might do in our life. And so just the world's changing and housing is changing. And unfortunately around a lot of the country, people are holding on to a way of thinking about housing that is just not in line and in step with our our country right now and the way the world is is moving and it's important that we progress and we catch up because we leave people behind 
Uh, and when we talk about leaving people behind with housing, we're talking about folks not having what I believe should be a basic human right in one of the richest countries on the face of the earth, which is having a roof over your head. And so being houseless for that amount of time during the campaign made it hard. I really thought about dropping out. And I want to be clear to everyone, I made it through because I worked really hard and, and all that. But let's be honest, there are so many candidates who work really hard. Right. And sometimes it takes a little luck, right person, right place, right time, all that to make it work out. We don't have these numbers because we don't track the amount of candidates that like drop out because of finances. But just imagine all the candidates that we could have had in office that literally couldn't even finish their campaign. It's not even like, oh, they got to the end and they lost. They couldn't even finish it because they had to drop out because it just cost too much. And so these conversations of the structure of society, it's important because I did feel that way too, Laura. I felt like, man, I didn't save in a good enough way. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Like, And of course, there's always things you look back and you're like, man, I wish I would have done something differently. But at the end of the day, and this is to the conversation of student debt, I always like to say, we're in debt, not because we've been living beyond our means, but because we've been denied the means to live and housing. And housing and transportation, I always like those are two things that are kind of not identical, but indivisible are a huge part of that. I mean, I think this is the the cost of housing eating up such a, a huge percentage. I mean, especially for young people, but that especially for renters, that yeah. housing is just eating up such a huge percentage of your what would be your take home pay. Yeah. And that's putting pressure on every other aspect of your life. I mean, I think this is something that you're you're for I mean I was thinking Congress because so many people can't get to Congress the conversation you're having with your fellow Congress people must be a little bit I mean there are people who maybe get it but that's like a handful of Congress people like the ones who are actually your fellow Congress people yeah. I would think maybe are quite out of touch and you're bringing like the renter experience into that which is like so critical I the number of people who just don't think because they're not living it that this is that big of a problem they can see the statistics they can see homelessness is on the rise they can see the housing shortages hurting middle class families but they don't feel it the way you do Exactly. And I will say, though, when I got the Congress, I was, I was surprised with how many members came up to me and like were like, I went through the same thing when I got here. Oh, wow. And, and but the first thing I thought of is like, why do you tell anybody? And, and, and it's and part of it is because there's this culture of like showing that vulnerability makes you look weak. And I and look, I mean, when I came out with my housing story and I openly talk about the fact that my finances were really bad and, and are still like I even though I have a good salary, that's not lump sum, right? And I have a ton of debt to pay off and I'm still fixing my credit and I'm working on it. It's going to take time, but I'm, I like to be honest about it so people know, and it's not a pity thing. I just want people to understand the barriers to entry when we talk about office, but there actually are, it doesn't make up most of Congress. It's a very small percentage, but there are a lot of people who have gone through this. And when I hear about their experiences, I, I've been encouraging my colleagues be open about it because that can inspire so many people. And it could also really bring this process down to earth for a lot of folks. There are so many people who live in their office, right? Because they can't afford to find a place to live when they get to DC. There's so many people who live in their office because they're just trying to save money and like they have a family back at home and we have to keep up two residencies, right? Or two places to live. And so it's important things. But I always like to joke around because believe it or not, 
most of the members who live in their offices are actually more conservative members. Um, sure. Some of them, it's out of principle or et cetera. And so I always like to joke around that what greater show uh, force for like federally subsidized like housing there than living in your office, you know? <laughs> if it's there for you, I mean, if you get it, what about the American people? Yeah. But no, either way, it's an important conversation and we just need more. We need more people just talking about it so we can have this conversation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting and, and tying it back to your experience in Orlando with the hospitality and entertainment industry. I mean, I think there's been this conversation about like the kinds of people who struggle with the cost of living and, and the cost of the rent. Who are those kinds of people? And I, and I remember I did an internship for a congressman when I was in high school and the interns are all struggling with housing deeply because they're getting paid pennies. In Orlando, you've got the entire hospitality industry having this conversation that, you know, and, and it's been really interesting actually to watch organized labor start to realize that, yes, we need to fight for wages. And also we need to have a conversation at the same time about the cost of housing itself. Wages are going to be part of the conversation, but also we have to bring down the cost of housing. You know, when you're thinking about bringing what Orlando needs to Congress, what are the kind of principles that you're thinking about? for housing legislation as you're thinking about what what we need to fight for well obviously you know republicans and and i hate to make this democrat versus republican but it's just easy it's easier to understand but it's true republicans have really proposed drastic cuts to very important housing programs in the federal government and i know i'm kind of preaching to the choir but we all know that the the best levers that we can pull in terms of housing are on the local level, state local level. Congress has a great opportunity to, to spur that and entice that and sometimes penalize bad behavior. And that's really our job, right? We're here to protect the consumer. We're here to get resources down to the municipality. And we're here to encourage good behavior and, and sometimes discourage bad behavior. And so the money that HUD gets for these many different programs that really help spur good affordable housing across the country, it's important. It's severely underfunded now. And I can't imagine what it would be if, if Republicans in Congress got their way in taking away a lot of that money. I had a meeting just about a month ago with Secretary Fudge about housing, and we had many different conversations about it. And she's very much dedicated to a YIMBY world, right? Where like everybody has the housing that they deserve and that we get more inventory, but not just any old inventory, but inventory near opportunity where people can live and thrive and deserve to live. And we change the, the uh, stigma um, behind what affordable housing is. Um, and I think that's really important. Um, so there's that aspect of things, which is the funding part. The other part, there's some great legislation. Uh, one of my my friends, Robert Garcia, has uh, a really good piece of legislation having to do with getting rid of uh, parking minimums. We know that when we cut around the edges of a lot of these weird local laws that really work at their exclusionary zoning laws and things that keep us from building good housing where we need it is important. So Robert Garcia's introduced that the People Over Parking Act. He's from he used to be the mayor of Long Beach, California. So we have to know former mayors know what's up with the housing. And uh, that's a great law too. We're right now in the beginning stages and we're we're working up a series of bills to uh, address renters and, and, and making sure that renters are thought of in the conversation. What I've realized <clears throat> is that the conversation in Congress around housing really, really skews towards the homeowners, which, which is important. Like, I mean, well, we need to talk about homeowners. Oftentimes, renters are not really spoken about. And 
uh, Representative Jimmy Gomez, who's also from California, he started the first ever Renters Caucus, which I'm a member of, which is great. But we do need legislation around renters specifically because the precursor to owning for like most people is renting. And so if you can't even get to that, how can we expect folks to own and build wealth and accumulate that wealth and pass it through their family and through generations? And so we're working on legislation on that right now to help renters, help to make renting more accessible and everything like that. And you said it, Laura, there's not one solution here, right? It's not like, oh, we do, it's not just more inventory, right? It's like ensuring that it's equitable, that we have affordable inventory, that it's equitable, easy process for people to be able to get in there. But we also need the inventory and we need all of this. All these things work together and we can't afford to pigeonhole ourselves in this conversation of housing. Yeah, I think what makes it so hard often and, and why the housing conversation sometimes gets bogged down in the technicalities is that there's so many different ways that people hold back housing production. There's so many different ways that we've hamstrung, especially affordable housing, but all kinds of housing. And so you end up having to like talk about parking minimums. And then you're like stuck in this kind of conversation where you're describing what parking minimum requirements are and why they're bad, and why they drive up the cost of housing. You know, and when we can get those, I mean, I love it, people over parking. I love it, right? You can get that, like, what's our values? Why is this important? Anytime you can get the housing conversation back into that values-based language is such a yeah. like successful moment. And yeah. I mean, it's been great. I mean, I mean, you've experienced this too. It's like the growing pro-housing movement and the MB movement means that there's like a bunch of people who are in it with you who are like, yes, set like every time you say, you know, people over parking and people are like, yay. <laughs> No. There's an organized political movement fighting for making housing less expensive to build and yeah. uh, available in more places. No, 100%. And it's important because, we, I mean, we, look, in this fight, and I come from organizing, and, and something that's important when you're organizing is you take a step back and you realize what, what's going to be one of our greatest barriers. And obviously, there's tons of barriers in politics. Um, one for the housing movement um, is education. And it's not a barrier, but it's just something to keep in mind. And like you just said, parking minimums, right? I, I would venture to say that your average person would say, yeah, I'm for more parking spaces for my car because we live in such a car-centered country. And so we, as a movement, we take a step back and figure out, okay, that I, I get someone would say that off rip. How do we explain what this actually means, right? Mm -hmm. And like, and that and that takes time, and you figure it out, and you can it, slogans help with it, and stories help with it, and then we bring our people along for this journey to understand what that means. And it's something that we're going through here in Central Florida too. Which shout out to Orlando Yimby, which actually first decided to run for office. Orlando Yimby's meeting, their first meeting ever, was actually one of the first meetings I ever went to as a candidate um, when I first started, and they were so open to me as a candidate, but me being involved. So just shout out to Orlando Yimby. But it's something, that, you know, we go through here in Orlando. I remember when I went on TV and I first talked about density and that we needed more density in housing. And I got a lot of calls and letters of people saying, you're going to turn Orlando to New York City. It's, it's not going to happen, number one. And I remember Austin from Orlando Yimby came up to me and he said, it might be better to uh, talk about gentle density. And that that one word like changed everything. And now when I speak with people who are a bit more conservative on it, uh, they I don't paint them. I don't just automatically turn them off because I'm turning Orlando, Florida into Manhattan. And so either way, just little things like that, I think, help us build the movement, which is important. That's great. Actually, this is a great opportunity for me to say, like, 
tools that we're developing, right? So we're we're just starting a community of uh, local elected officials to share those kinds of insights with each other. There's like great research we are sharing with people about like what are the compelling ways to talk to your constituents about pro-housing and how to root it in values. You know, and for the activists, we've got um, public comment training where we're getting people to like, don't show up at your public comment with your chart and you're like, see, here's my chart, right? <laughs> talk about your values, talk about being yeah. and why Stories. and yeah. connecting like, okay, I, I care about the future of our community, which is why I think we need more homes, right? That kind of language, I think the, the whole pro-housing movement has gone from the like, you know, it's been really fun, right? I've gotten to be here and you've seen it, right? From like chart shouting days into, okay, if we're going to be real in politics, we have to be communicating our values all the time and connecting it to these bills. I want to sort of, as we're getting close on time, what do you think is kind of your most hopeful self? What do you think we could get out of Congress when it comes to pro-housing legislation, whether it's funding, whether there's a lot of conversation about incentives from the federal government, about building near transit. There does seem to be this conversation happening in Congress. Yes, still rooted in the power of the purse, but also kind of how do we change the way local governments are making decisions? It just seems really hopeful right now. No, a hundred percent. I think that right now we take a step back, we do a power assessment. Our power is in DC is in the administration and we have the Senate, right? And I think through the administration, we have a great opportunity to work with HUD and do what we need to do to bring that money back to our communities to incentivize good affordable housing all around our community, just more housing in general coming from HUD. So I think that's really important. The other thing I'll say is there are so many rules, like many folks don't know about the Department of Transportation has a rule. It's been around for a while that for every dollar they give to local governments, I'm forgetting the percentage, but most of it actually has to go towards highways, Mm. um, like roads versus public mass transit. And we all know that public mass transit is directly connected to the conversation of housing, right? It's equity of movement and it's equity of being able to live where you want to live in your community. And those two things are very uh, tied together. If we look at the bipartisan infrastructure law, there is so much money within that to help spur housing and and, uh, transportation. And I think as members of Congress, and I would encourage everybody here, if you're looking for opportunities to engage with your member of Congress around housing, which I know, again, the biggest, best levers are local, right? But number one, I would say, ask your member of Congress to join the renters caucus. And if they say, oh, I'm not a renter, say, you don't, you know, you don't have to be a renter. You just need to show support of renting. That's a low bar thing your member of Congress can do. Another thing they can do is talk with you about what's their plan to help with implementation of the bipartisan infrastructure law and bring that money back to spur more housing. So these are good conversations that you can build with your member to see how y'all can advocate together for affordable housing from the federal government and just good pro-housing policies. I mean, and also even just rhetorically speaking, getting the Congress people to talk about the crisis that renters and people who are being locked out of communities are being. I mean, I think this narrative change that we've seen makes so many other things possible. I mean, I remember when people told me that we shouldn't do activism on the state level. We should only do activism on the local level because that's where the zoning constraints were. Now we've been able to say, no, actually states can play a really major role in cracking down on how exclusionary local jurisdictions are going to be. So I'm going to like look forward to the days when the federal government is also taking that role more seriously. 
And, and 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 two things, yeah. The state, I mean, is very important. Here in Florida, we have something called the Sadowski Fund, um, which is a fund specifically for affordable housing, spurring housing across the state. Unfortunately, the Sadowski Fund has been raided through several administrations here in Florida, so we have a lot of work here. But those really creative solutions can come from the state level. But here's the thing, in, in Congress and the federal government, when you get those the federal government talking about an issue, a lot of times that can help matriculate to your local government. If your member of Congress is sending letters to the city, like we're working on a letter now having to do with parking minimums, and we're working on a letter to send to our county commissioners, that helps, right? I mean, having a member of Congress advocate with you for good local policies help. Even though that member can't cast that ballot in that specific election, they can add their voice. And so that's something else I would say is even though your member of Congress won't be voting on the specific thing, they can be a part of this struggle with you if they so choose. And so being involved with, with them, I think is really important. All right. So last question, we've got a lot of people who maybe are thinking about running for office or thinking about um, what can they do to move the pro-housing movement forward. Um, for people who are thinking about running for office or thinking about getting involved in local politics and, and getting involved in politics in general about the pro-housing movement, what advice do you have for people? I would tell people, I mean, if you're thinking about running for office, thank you. We need good people in office. Run for what gets you excited and what you know a lot about, right? Like for me, Congress made sense because of the work that I've done, uh, but we need good people at every level. And something that we're doing here in Central Florida, me is just working at endorsing good candidates at the local level. So my advice would be build community with the people around you. And when you decide to run for office, run on issues that you're personally connected to. And I think that's really how we're going to elect good people, but just run. And a good website is run for something. Um, .org. They are a C3 that just helps people learn how to run for office. If you need ideas or anything, that's a good place to, to go. And also, Laura, too, I don't, you know, if EMB is uh, getting more people to run for office, that's a good organization maybe to partner with or something more pro-housing pro candidates. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been so great. Any last, give me, give me something pithy about how we need more housing in our communities that we can put on our clips. Yeah, well, what we know to be true is this, the world is changing and we cannot leave working people behind. And a huge part of that is ensuring that we have pro-housing politicians and leaders at every level of government so we can have a world where housing is actually a human right in this country. And I know we can get there with good pro-housing policies, whether it's the federal level at the community level, and that all starts with organizing. So shout out to Yimby for doing that organizing. And I'm proud to be a member myself. And let's let's get to work. I love it. Thank you so much, Congressman. Have a great one. Of course. Have a great day. Hey everyone, Kenneth here, one of the Infill producers. If you're not already a member, go to yimbyaction.org and become a member today. Yimby Action is advocating for the policy solutions we need for abundant, affordable housing and inclusive, sustainable communities across the country. If you believe this work is important and valuable, I really want to urge you to become a supporting member. You can do that, as I said, by going to yimbyaction.org join. Thanks so much.